Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Uh, good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 14 years. Well, that's a long time. As Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell. In today's broadcast, you'll also learn about IU's unique involvement with this year's Indiana Black Expo. And 14 years has gone by 14, really fast. And Liz, you've been with us from the every year from the moment they smacked us on our behind, we start crying. Yeah, yeah, you and I both cried it. We're yeah. twins. They were twins. Yeah. So what all in this next hour on Bring It On, that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> what, what a visual. <laughs> As FCC shuts us down. Yeah. Uh, but first, we have a dear friend in here, um, uh, Jim Mitchell, Liz's husband. No, no, we have another dear friend in here. Uh, William Morris is the host, he's famous now, of the host of WFIU's jazz program, Just You and Me, for which he created the upbeat Soul Kitchen, not Soul Train, but Soul Kitchen, featuring funky jazz, R&B, gospel, and rock. He began at WFIU after five years of volunteering here, where he got his training at community radio station WFHB, (laughs) where he hosted such programs as the Tuesday Afternoon Music Mix, Aura Latina, Hora Latina, and the Jazz Menagerie. WFIU let him keep his radio handle of Brother William, a name that works on different levels, including identifying him as an African-American and an evangelist for all things musical, be it jazz, blues, gospel, rock and roll, world music, or Americana. A full-time staff attorney at Indiana Legal Services, and he'll probably leave a number before he leaves. (laughs) Morris previously was in private practice that concentrated on civil rights and employment discrimination. And perhaps the reason he chose this path, or one of the reasons, can be gathered from this personal revelation into his life. He stated, when I was born, my parents had to give me up because they could not get married at that time due to the legislation that forbid interracial marriage. Brother William Morris, welcome to Bring It On. Welcome. Oh, it is good to see y'all. You know, as I sit here, I I realize I do not see y'all enough. And uh, just this it's is always, true. It's always great. You know, I think of all the different ways that you and I have crossed paths. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we crossed paths through Orlando Taylor. That's right. And through here, and of course through ministry. Yeah. Um, and just a whole bunch of ways. And Gary and and Barbara Cope, and just yeah. all the ways. I almost feel like you're my cousin. Well, well, we are related. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, you. You are one of the only few people that we be coming out of Bible study. You come tearing into our parking lot <laughs> and telling us, uh, "Did you hear my show?" And people. <laughs> looking around like, who is this guy? <laughs> no, but, but, but William and I go way back. Uh, yeah. But William, you have done a lot of things that are uh, that have been recognized over mm. the years. And mm. you've done some things that mm. have made people sit up and take notice. 
you've been a trailblazer in a lot of different yeah. ways, yeah, and you have good, a unique uh, a unique story that I w- want to talk about during mm-hmm. this uh, first half hour. Before we start, let me just say to Liz, and uh-huh. of course, Liz is 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 a dynamo, you know, oh, yeah. uh, in her own yes, in her own is. great way. And so uh, every time I see Liz, I feel like I'm. Um, Talking to a history book, you know, in, in 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 a dynamic form, and so it's good to see you too. I'm glad you're here, yeah. and I'm glad you're here to tell your story. You know that Gladys and I form Resilience Productions, yes. yes. And I know she's working on your story. Yeah, and we can pray for our sister. I know, you know yeah, she's she's, she's doing on some good. She, I saw her yesterday. Excellent. She's doing good. Excellent. And um, well, if you're uh, listening, girl, hey, okay, I'm gonna see you sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your story is fascinating, mm. and I I think your story. Uh, after hearing that, uh, it's funny how you hear something, and then later on, I I heard another story similar to theirs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to yours, mm-hmm. and thinking, boy, there are a lot of people out there that can identify mm-hmm. with the, with your story. And mm-hmm. one, probably uh, being uh, the young man came over from Africa. He said he was born in the crime. He was, mm-hmm. you know, he mm-hmm. he was a crime just to be born. Mm-hmm. So during wow. your time when you were born, yeah. that was the same thing, yes, right? Same thing. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think it's a story, and I think Gladys gets this too, uh, that it's a story that's, I think, very typical of many parts of southern Indiana. Right. You know, it's, yes. it's this, 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 all these racial dynamics, and, and it's also a story of how you know, black families put themselves together in different ways, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I think we are especially adept at putting together families that don't necessarily geometrically fit perfectly. We, right. we, we really have become very skilled at that. And let alone raising others' children. Yes. Because of family situations, circumstances where black families volunteer to mm-hmm. raise children and to make sure that they were on the straight and narrow or to provide them safe harbor. Mm-hmm. And you well, know, that comes across in Henry Gates' show because, you know, mm-hmm. he's going back and looking at yes. the genetics and people right. finding out that their that their father wasn't their father and their grandmother wasn't <coughs> their grandmother and, and just never really had any idea. But, you know, the families are coming together and coalescing Right. As good as, as as best they can. I mm-hmm. had a gentleman. Uh, um, he perceived himself as white. He got the DNA test, and he says, "Liz, I'm 14 percent African, whatever that means." <laughs> there's, a, I, there's a drop in there. I, <laughs> I said, "Well, he didn't know about the one drop rule, and yeah. I explained he's got 14 of those drops." Yeah. <laughs> so he goes, "Oh, well, I'm real proud of that." <laughs> So, so the listening audience will know about what we're <laughs> talking about mm-hmm. with your background. Can you briefly tell our listening audience your heritage, your background? Well, I was born in 1957. It's hard to say that sometimes. I'm 62 in a few days. And um, my mother and father were high school students at, um, in, at Wiley High School in Terre Haute. Okay. And my father was a big-time track star. He, he was the 100-yard champion in Indiana and had a record that lasted many years. And my mother was a real bright um, Scotch-Irish, um, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl with a lot of verve and, and sass and personality. And they somehow met in junior high school and became very good friends, later became um, girlfriend, boyfriend, sort of informally. Um, they conceived me in the, I guess it would have been at the beginning of their senior year. And then um, I was born um, in the summer of 1957. And part of their story that's always so interesting to me is that, you know, she faced a lot of 
um, uh, what's the word, you know, hostility right. um, by outwardly um, being fond of and showing affection for a black man. And so, you know, she heard all the terms and all the, the vinegar and all the bad things and the ostracizing. And so they would go to great uh, lengths to uh, and from her family as well. So they would go to great lengths to meet, you know. So, for example, which I told Gladys, you know, they'd go to a library. One would be on one aisle, the other would be on the other aisle, and they'd take the books out. And then they would talk to each other like, you know, like they're looking at books, but talking to each other through the across the, the bookshelf mm-hmm. or or um, my mother would go to one of the hotels there and she'd bring a pocket full of coins and she would um, you know sit there in those big fancy um, bathrooms that they had at the time you know where you can sort of lounge around and they would talk on the telephone but you know she was actually though the thing that was interesting is she was welcome in his household and they knew my mother very very well I mean all of his he was the oldest of eight kids and they all knew Miss Harriet, and they, they knew her, and she had, I think that always the wish was that they would have gotten married, but it, it, it didn't happen that way. And so after I was conceived, they tried to um, get married, but um, the rules, the laws did not permit that. So they had, the two families got together, had a powwow, and it was agreed that Harriet, um, my mother, would go to um, Wisconsin, where we had a, um, where my father had a, a, a uncle who was a priest he was actually a fairly big well-known priest ended up going up to Detroit and working with C.L. Franklin and that circle ended up in um, um, outside in Flint mm-hmm. but at that time he was in Beloit <laughs> Wisconsin and so there was a church and what's he called the, the next to the church they have the parsonage. the parsonage yeah so he lived in the parsonage and he had five kids and actually one of his so, you know, Pastor um, Bruce um, Rose Bruce Rose uh-huh. is related to me through this family of this pastor. He is on the mother's side, the pastor's wife. He's related to the pastor through the pastor's wife. I'm related to the family through the pastor. But so we're, wow. I guess that's once removed, uh-huh. cousins once removed. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we, um, so we're related in that way. But I think Bruce could probably even tell you more about um, this pastor and all that. But... But let me just say that, so my mother ends up, when she's about four months pregnant, it's agreed, she'll go up there, she'll have the baby, me, and then they'll get married, he'll go on up there, and and they'll get married. So she goes up there, and I really would, and this is one of the ideas I know Gladys gets, my mother goes up to this family, live with this family. She's blonde hair, blue eyes, very, very white, pale, and she's living with this African-American family in this church, in this parsonage. And to my mother's last day, she said it was the best five months that she ever had in her whole life. She said she had a family that accepted her, and they would yeah. do each other's hair and do yeah. all this. And they go to church, and they say, Pastor Robs, who is that? Well, who's this white woman? And he said, well, that's my niece. That's my, you know, that's my, my baby here. And so, um, but then at the 11th, excuse me, at the 11th hour, um, she got a call from my father that he wasn't going to marry her and just it's a longer story but he backed out and so he went she went back to Terre Haute went to one of these homes that were the homes for unmarried women that they had then they had these homes and the house is still there and I go into Terre Haute I pass it all the time and she had me and then I went off for four days where I was a ward of the state and then I went to a, um, a foster home and my foster mother is still alive, and we have a very good ongoing. She's actually, when I say Barbara Cope, she's Barbara Cope's sister. 
So, so this is how I'm related to Marvin See, and, and and connecting the dots, that's a connection to Gary. Yes, that's the connection to Gary. That's right. That's right. And so she's Barbara Cope's sister. And so actually Barbara knew me back then because I stayed with that family for like a year and a half. So it was the intention, it was Barbara's intention to adopt me. And but but back then, unlike today, like today, if you are a foster parent, they really will hope you it will grow into an adoption. But back then, it was the opposite. Right. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. I read somewhere where um, your foster mother cared for 117 125. Foster, 125. I'm trying to get an article written about her um, in the paper there. But yeah, and you know, she was so she is when if you met her, my my wife was here. She tell you as soon as you walk in the house, you are you are in the presence of somebody that has this giant maternal spirit. I mean, it's just it's just palpable. Wow, mm-hmm. it comes off of her, and she was <laughs> so well known and so good at this that you know um, white folks that had babies that were um, shouldn't they shouldn't have had they would go there and say here can you um, can we take our baby to you and she 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 was raising white babies and. Light babies and black babies and just all of It all just of didn't them. matter. She was a mother. No, had that didn't mother matter. spirit. Didn't matter. I've got her on a video somewhere. I tried to do a little life video because she's 94. Um, and I asked her, how did you get into this? Why did you have so many? How could you take care of so many children? And she said, I just can't stand to think of a child who's going to have it hard. I mean, mm-hmm. something really just, it almost just make you cry just to hear her say this mm-hmm. because you know how deeply she, um, she feels that. Well, right. You know, Brother William, I know that you met your mother, made your peace with her. What about your father? Well, he's still alive, and uh, he had his 80th birthday. He lives in Los Angeles, and um, he's, he's still alive, and, and he's doing pretty well. I went out last year to see him in Los Angeles, and when he saw me, I mean... I know he sees my mother when I walk in the room or something. And we've only met a few times. We talk pretty regularly, but, but we've only met a few times. And when he saw me, his first thing was to put his, his head on my shoulder and just sob because there was so much heartbreak and so much. Um, I mean, he's gone on with life, and my mother went on with life and ended up here in Bloomington. That's how I ended up here. But, you know, there's just so much heartbreak in this story. I, I just can't even go into it. I'll start crying. Yeah. 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 yeah, but there's a lot of redemption too. But it's you right. know, but it's it works both ways. Who would think that the first <clears throat> 15 minutes of our interview would be sparked by one question? Mm. <laughs> and if there really wasn't the question that we were going to lead off with, but it just was a natural uh, to go into. For those who are tuning in and are probably pulling over and shedding tears now as you're driving. Uh, we are talking with William Morris, full-time staff attorney at, Le- uh, at, at Indiana Legal Services, and he's doing a whole lot of other wonderful things. But he's also the host of WFIU's jazz program, Just You and Me, for which he created the Upbeat Soul Kitchen. And he's joining us in- tonight to talk about his life's journeys mm. and his passions. And on that note, you have done a lot of legal things. And I, I-, I posed a theory Mm-hmm. as I was introducing you, that perhaps your reason for getting in this field, this, this vocation, was did you examine your life and you want to make life better for others? Because you've done a lot of phenomenal things. You've done mm-hmm. missionary type mm-hmm. of work. You've taught mm-hmm. English as a second language. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, <laughs> you might remember, uh, Clarence, one time I was here with Don Griffin and William Hosea, and I was talking about the family that adopted me, William Morris Sr., so he was in South Bend. My family was in South Bend. And my father was a Tuskegee Airman. 
And, you know, he was a hardworking guy. And um, he was also the first black realtor, like Don Griffin, the first black realtor in the state of Indiana. And he, with the help of the Notre Dame Law Clinic, initiated legislation against the real estate brokers, the white real estate brokers, oh, sorry about that, mm-hmm. in, in St. Joe County, mm-hmm. that really um, was the lawsuit that removed redlining and um, um, in access to black to loans for black families. It really was, it was landmark legislation. Now I see the look on Liz's face. You see, I'm just. <laughs> and she, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen after the show, she's gonna say, I need to talk to you. Yes. Because she's gonna chronicle this. She does that type of thing. That's why she's been with us for, for yes, 14 years. Yes, and she's years. very good at it. She, yes, she she's is. excellent at it. Um, but I want to say to you and Liz, there's a white guy that lives here in town. I forgot his name, but a real super nice guy who was um, a writer on the South Bend Tribune. Okay. And he knew my father well, and he knows those issues well. I mean, he knows them better than I do because he reported on those things. So, so oh. I, see a, I see a guest and a story. I do, too. Yeah. In, the, in the very near future. Yes, absolutely. And I can tell you his name as soon as I get off the line. Yeah. My memory will come back to me. But I, I see the I guy around a lot. He's in yeah. the UU church. and um, Yeah. His name's not Dan, is it? No. Okay. Guy Lofman? No, no, it's not Guy. This guy's not a lawyer. He was a reporter with the South okay. Bend Tribune during right. the okay. time. Okay. So uh, because of those things that my dad did in South Bend, he was hired by Roy yeah. Wilkins to be the national director of housing programs for the NAACP. Wow. So he traveled a lot, and he took me lots of places. I mean, I learned lots of things from my father and met lots of people. I almost say I met everybody except Dr. King and Ralph Abernathy. We just were never there, but he would take me places. And um, so I think I think the work that I do now is related to him. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, that directly related to him. Yeah. Um, I'm speechless almost, and I, that really yeah. happens because <laughs> I'm thinking of all these different connections and connecting dots right here before us. And let's talk about your involvement with uh, – with with music, mm. it's not that um, Will Murphy, who mm-hmm. was station mm-hmm. manager here, mm-hmm. and did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't that Will um, just saw you and said, mm-hmm. "Oh, we need a body, we yeah. need a voice." No, 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 no. no. There's a reason why, yeah. and you have uh, an um, you're a music aficionado in a yeah. lot of respects. So yeah, talk about your love of music. So <clears throat> when I was teaching English as a second language at IU. I used to bring my students on tours of downtown um, just to show them places, and I would try to find volunteer opportunities for them, cause, and sometimes I was successful because they would then hear English and people would try to help them. So I, I brought a crew to, um, to WFHB, and, I, and we were here, and they said, well, the first thing you want to do is come to the Saturday morning meeting, right, to right, get right. an initiation. So I brought the students here. And so, you know, after listening to that, I said, I said, I want to do that. I, mean, I don't know what y'all want to do, but I want to do that. Yeah. So Jim Mannion put me through the oh, stages. Yeah. You know, you've yeah, got to yeah. take a little class and you got to shadow people and you got to um, meet with the guy that does the Sunday night show. There yeah. uh, was this pledge process. Yeah, 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 yeah whole process. <laughs> and then part of the process was you had to be a desk jockey. Right. You got to sit at the desk. And so, you Do know, the I, grunt work. Yeah, I like that. And I got to meet Jeff Morrison, talked about the history and all the things. And that's where I met you the first time. Uh-huh. And then one time, the Tuesday afternoon mix guy was sick. And he wasn't coming in. They said, well, can you do the show? I said, yeah, I do the show. <laughs> I was like Lou Gehrig. That cat never came back. You know, I yeah. took that job. Yeah. So, um, um, But then, you know, that just sort of, 
you know, sometimes God works in ways, puts you in places that yeah, you just—that's that's what that you're supposed true. to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and then uh, Chad, um, Carruthers. Chad, Carruthers. Chad Carruthers, Chad Carruthers uh, uh, gave me the name Brother William, and just to, just to, and so when Will Murphy was uh, went over to WFIU. I um, mean, I learned a lot here. I learned a lot from everybody, from you, mm-hmm. from William, from Jim Mannion, especially just a whole lot from Chad and Jan. I mean, just everybody, because it's a great place to be. They taught me a lot. Um, but then when, when um, some, after about five years here, one of the callers called in and said, William, you need to get paid. And I thought about it. My wife said, yeah, yeah. So I called <laughs> over to WFIU just on a, on a hunch. And it just happened to be the very same week that um, – that the guy on Friday, I forgot his name, was signing off. Joe. Um, Joe Bourne. Joe Bourne. Yeah. It was oh, the yeah. very same week that Joe said he was retiring. The very same week. And they said, well, your call, the timing could not have been better. Come on over. And so, you know, we had a nice little meeting with Joe Bourne and David Baker and, and Will Murphy. And it was like the, the passing of the guard. And, and so we had a, so they, had, they gave me a little audition. And they said, do you have any questions? And I said, well, I'd like to keep the moniker Brother William. And they said, well, there's no precedent for that in the NPR world. They said, so start off as Brother William Morris. Well, I did that for about a week, two weeks. And then, you know, I just <laughs> dropped to Morris. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I used to sort of uh, read you a little bit because, you know, you work here long enough and, and when you do, do um, station call signs and things like that, and mm-hmm. you, you say you're listening to it's second nature to say WFHD. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder yeah. if you did that and, and they had this seven-second delay and they ran in there and said, William, you're oh, oh, no, that there's, station. There's no delay over there, Clarence. I had to put a sign up on the wall, and every time we got ready to do it, I had to look up and read it <laughs> for like a year, you know. And I still slip sometimes if I'm not, you know, if I'm listening to stuff I used to listen to here or something that Jim Mannion told me about, he gets into my mind or Quincy Jones or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask you. You know, when I grew up, I um, I limited myself on music. If it didn't come from Motown, this is when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. And through my husband, who loves all music, everybody's music, uh, and he remembers stuff. He mm-hmm. can tell you from where well, it's all in his head. It never was mm-hmm. in mine. So I wanted to ask you, where did your love of music and the different kinds of music come from? Or did, were you limited at first like I was mm-mm. and then expanded? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, limited to the extent that I, you know, first listened to what my parents listened to. So they had Lou Rawls and, and, and Billy Eckstein and, and Wes Montgomery and things like that. And I had an aunt who was a great jazz aficionado. When she passed away recently, I, I inherited her record collection. So that was... But, you know, it's, I, I can't really even explain it. I can't explain it because my wife knows. She'll always tell me I, I, in church, don't, don't sing, just move your mouth because you can't carry a tune. <laughs> so I have no really a musical ability. <laughs> I can't really say what it is. But you know what's a key to the soul kitchen is that I think I've always believed that you find the blackness of music in every genre. It's, there's the blackness in there somewhere, you know, from Brazilian music to rock music to jazz to gospel to, I mean, anything. So when you hear the, the Soul Kitchen, it's not that I play, I won't play white artists, I will, 
but it's usually white artists that have this sound in it. You right, know, they're, right. they're, it's there. They they've tried to to match the the, the southern artists. Like if you listen to the um, Jimi Hendrix, even I mean, every genre has these people. You know, the Carolina Chocolate Drops were taking um, Black Mountain music. You know, because there were people. And you know, there were lots of older Black people like my dad, probably y'all's parents that loved country music, that loved Hank Williams. That's my what they dad loved to. Hank Williams. Yeah. And and it's interesting. Sarah and I went down to Memphis a couple years ago to do that whole Memphis thing. And so we're listening to Rufus Thomas at Stax oh Records yeah. on, oh a, yeah. on an interview. Oh and yeah. Rufus Thomas says, you know, on Saturday night, everybody, black and white, turned on the radio and listened to the old Grand old Opry in Nashville. Everybody. And so when you listen to the people that come out of that area especially, be it Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, Al Green, Otis Redding, they have that in their mind, this whole Grand Old Opry thing. And so I just, to me, music is just so multiracial. It just, it just, it's just, they get it. That's, that's the thing about Al Green. He had that distinctive voice and it just propelled him. Oh, yeah. To the top within Absolutely. weeks. Absolutely, uh, it's just that certain style, southern. Yes. It's yes. gospel. Yes. I yes. mean, it's all, all folded in into one. Yeah. But he's saying he attributes a lot of that influence mm. to the Grand Ole Opry. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had uh, the pleasure of uh, of uh, what my husband told me about Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that all of the white groups mm-hmm. who made money off of Robert Johnson. Absolutely. Music. And I like traveling when, when I'm looking for black history stories. Mm-hmm. I may read something, but I got to get in my mm-hmm. car and go. Mm-hmm. So I stopped by. I was on my way to where Emmett Till mm-hmm. was murdered. Emmett Till. But I stopped <coughs> by Robert Johnson's grave site. Wow. Which was right wow. on the same road. And there was a good whiskey mm-hmm. and bourbon sitting on this man's head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, what? But I, you know, I know the story. Uh-huh. Brand new bottles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Of, uh-huh. And I mean, not just uh-huh. one bottle. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. the best uh-huh. sitting there uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, at this gravesite by this little old colored church, uh-huh. as it was called uh-huh. then. Uh-huh. And so I know you do a lot of Robert Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Robert Johnson. And of course, he's emanated into, right? Everybody has been doing Robert Johnson, right? Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Led Zeppelin. I mean, they all do. Everybody does Robert Johnson at the crossroads. Mm-hmm. Yes. When we mm-hmm. went to the crossroads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did mm-hmm. stop there, too. Mm-hmm. Now, is this the story of that song uh, where some have said that's where he made a pact mm-hmm. with the pack devil? with the devil. Said, make me famous. Mm-hmm. Make and me a take superstar. My soul. I ain't get, using it. My soul. <laughs> <He> said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there are like. Well, YouTube has a lot yeah. of. You know, yeah. YouTube. You can that. that yeah. Some of this is fake news. But yeah. Uh, yeah. one thing I want to touch on. We have just a few minutes left. Oh And no. you said that. Yeah. I'm, it, and and I, I knew this was gonna fly by, but we're gonna have to have him back. That's all. Or he's going to have to invite us over to WFI. Well, I would love that. I would love that. You know, Gladys has been on. She came on to talk about the play, so I I don't see any reason why not. All right. Okay. uh, I mean, not Gladys, but Liz and I will sing a duet. Well, just get on. Just get over there, and then we'll (laughs) figure it out. (laughs) Okay. In in other words, he was he was he was nice about it. Okay. Um, You hail from South well South Bend. You Mm -hmm. you were there for a period of time. We just had a guest on a couple weeks ago to talk about some of the. the issues going on now mm. with police community relations mm-hmm. and the uh, shooting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. From your time in South Bend, was that sort of under the surface? That Was there a tension beneath the public surface that sort of lent itself to that? Or is this something 
the best of your recollection, maybe a new phenomenon? I think the people who call themselves, quote, unquote, old timers from South Bend. I moved from South Bend in 1969. I'm an old timer. And let me, this is a long answer, but I'm going to shorten it. Every other year, there's this park in in South Bend called Pearly Park. And they have this east, and it's on the east side of South Bend, right in the shadow of Notre Dame. And they have this east side reunion every other year. And like... I would say thousands of people from South Bend of different generations come back to this reunion. The reunion is going to be on August 5th this year. And I think when people come back to South Bend and and talk about it, they just say how much it's changed, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the opioid thing and all this has just taken over and it's lost a lot of, it's taken on another dimension that I, I don't know how the police fit into that. But 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 for people who are from South Bend, old timers, they don't remember it's it's changed okay. and it's gone. And Notre Dame has appropriated a lot of the property that used to be black owned, and it's just there used to be a five corners in South Bend that um, that Notre Dame has taken, and and there's just new communities on it. I just all these people had to be relocated. It's really sad. It was tragic first time I went over to South Bend. I said, "Where's the five corners?" And I realized it had been chopped off and. New neighborhoods had been built on it. So, so what happened to those people located um, to? I, I really don't know. I don't know what happens to relocated place. people. Same thing as like at the lake here when they made the lake. Where did all those people go? I don't know. Same thing a lot of places. I mean, I'm not just, I mean, I was in Durham, North Carolina when they were fixing. I mean, it's just when they're putting highways in. Where do these people go? I don't know the answer. And to highway that. Uh, expansion has been yeah, that's right. historically used to split up that's communities right. like Indianapolis. Yes. Uh, if you have a longtime Indianapolis resident, well, I'm sitting right Me. next to one, um, 65. Uh, where do those people go? Indiana Avenue. I mean, how was that decimated? They you know, went to the neighborhoods expansion? they couldn't afford, mm-hmm. and yeah. those neighborhoods mm-hmm. now have boarded up homes. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and I ask that rhetorically. I really don't know a lot of times where these people go because they're, they're being moved by the thousands sometimes, right? Yeah. And yeah. So it's well, that, that, that's the next topic for when you're on. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think this was part one of, of uh, a conversation that we need to have, I'd say, within a month's time. And we'll get you back yeah. here. Well, you know, one thing, Clarence, I like to talk about sometime, and I think it's interesting just for me to sort of examine it out loud with you all, is being a lawyer, a black lawyer for poor white people. Okay. Uh, there's, a, there's a dimension to it that's, that's, um, that's very, I think, I don't know, it's, it's, it's challenging and insightful. And, you know, most of those people are, are people who are political, in political disagreement with me. They have Confederate flags, they, you know, but I have to decide, you know, so what is your purpose here? But, uh, but they walk away with a different perspective. Oh, there's no question. After they interact there's with no you. There's no question. No question. It's almost like Atticus Finch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they kill a mockingbird yeah. because yeah. he yeah. did a lot of work with poor white people yeah, yeah. and then defended a black man um, and you know we, we know the story for those I mean that's one of the first stories I just vividly remember mm-hmm. in black and white mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, when you that's come back I'd dynamic. like to have that conversation yes, yes, with absolutely. you yeah. how or what the difference is between poor whites and their problems and blacks mm-hmm. and their problems mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they're similar that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a conversation mm-hmm. that, yeah, yeah we'll get into that well, looking at the clock on the wall, that's a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our thanks to William Morris, full-time staff attorney at Indiana Legal Services, and that's one of the, one of the many hats he wears and hosts, of course, the WFIU's jazz program, Just You and Me, for which he created the Upbeat Soul Kitchen. Um, for joining us tonight to share his life's journeys and passions, part one. Okay, and please don't go anywhere because mm. we got to yep, talk after the show. Conversation. <laughs> mm. All righty, bring it on.
Okay, Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affected the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. This email address once more is bringiton at wfhb.org. And you should have seen all the heads in here bobbing along as Until You Come Back to Me was playing in the background. This is a song by Polish singer Baja, released in 1990 from her album London, Warsaw, New York. This is a cover of one of Aretha Franklin's greatest hits. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here at WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at wfhb.org. Last Monday, we had the pleasure of interviewing Tanya Bell, Indiana Black Expo's president and general counsel, who provided an overview of this year's summer celebration. And to talk about Indiana University's involvement, and I understand they have a 30-year-plus involvement with uh, IBE, uh, Indiana Black Expo, uh, we, have, we are now welcoming from IUPUI, Ms. Kim Stewart-Brinston, who's on by phone. And from IU Bloomington, Ms. Leah McGrath. Ladies, welcome to Bring It On. Welcome, welcome, ladies. Hello. Hello. Hi. There's a familiar voice. How you doing, Kim? Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? Fine. Are you going to send me a bag of free giveaways? And any? Okay, that's, that's another conversation. But anyway, <laughs> Indiana Black Expo is now upon us. And um, a couple things you can look forward to in July is sweltering weather, yes, but also Indiana Black Expo. <laughs> and as I mentioned, Indiana University has enjoyed a 30-year huge presence at the Indiana Black Expo, Expo Summer Celebration. And I'll start off uh, with uh, Leah since she's here with us. Leah, talk a little bit about uh, Indiana University's presence and involvement with Black Expo. Well, first, Indiana University has been a supporter of the Indiana Black Expo Summer Celebration for 48, 48 years. 48 years. I am. 48 I stand years. Correct. We are in our 49th year. Yeah. We have been involved since the beginning, and we're proud of our continued partnership, which includes the Indiana University's Education Conference that's taking place this Thursday, July 18th, the Pacer Sports and Entertainment Corporate Luncheon and Awards Presentation that's on Friday, and of course, the exhibition that is open Friday through Sunday, Sunday the 21st, and the entry is free all weekend. Did you say free? Uh, that's free 99. Hmm. Okay. So we'll have over 200 IU volunteers made up of faculty, staff, students, and alumni, and we'll be on site to support students and their families at the exhibition. I got to use that phrase, free 99. Free 99. Yeah, free Not 1999. I like that. <laughs> free 99. And I believe, if I'm, am I correct, this is the second year that this, uh, that it's free for the exhibition? Second or third? Yes, yeah. yeah, I think the decision good. was made to, to allow as many people not let price be that, that yes. barrier. Um, you know, half the family may go, but the others can go. So, no, everybody come on down. Miss um, uh, Stuart Brinston, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Another Garyite at heart. Uh, yes. Wanted to ask you a question about what can people expect 
at the Indiana University Education Conference, which is sort of a signature event for IU. Uh, and that, again, is on Thursday, July 18th. Well, the conference is really about improving the overall academic well-being of African-American youth in Indiana. It's going to provide resources, best practices, and professional development training and cultural competence for the pre-K through post-secondary education instructors, administrators, and higher ed professionals. Last year, there were over 800 attendees from across the state. We're expecting 800 again this year. 800 administrators and and teachers and, wow, that's awesome. That is awesome. Higher ed professionals, yes, all of those people. Now, now let me ask you, when, when you, when, for our listeners who perhaps have not heard the phrase cultural competence, uh, can you describe that for our listeners? Um, how does that help a teacher or administrator in doing what they do? Well, as we know, the demographics of our country are shifting, and that also is impacting our schools. So it's to make sure that educators are trained to provide the best practices in education so that the education lessons and environment are able to embrace the identity of our students. So that goes in also to sensitivities, to being culturally aware. Okay. Okay. To understanding who they are, Mm -hmm. where they come from, and what are the assets that they bring to the classroom, and how do you build upon those in your lesson plans? Okay, okay. Uh, Next question I'll ask is, what's Indiana University's purpose of participating in the exhibition? Uh, we'll, we'll ask uh, uh, Ms. McGrath. Too. Oh, okay, my yeah. turn. Okay. Yeah. We'll go back and forth. <laughs> sure. No, our mission is to discover, develop, and deliver information and resources that inspire students to seek a post-secondary education and to provide support for underserved students and their families. You know, we're primarily here to learn about Indiana University's 21st Century Scholars Program and services, including academic advising, tutoring, peer mentoring, and workshops ranging from financial aid to overseas study. We also connect scholars with other programs and services throughout campus with the ultimate goal of helping them to, su- to successful students at Indiana University. You know, I, I, um, for, through the years that I was involved with Indiana Black Expo on the alumni side and then also uh, just representing even with the foundation, um, one of the things that I always, as a takeaway, you talk about that 48-year involvement with Indiana Black Expo. You have these exhibition halls, and typically in, in Exhibition Hall E, is where is used to be where Indiana was placed, and over the years you've seen IU just get this prominent placement in that exhibition hall. Um, so when you walk in, the representatives from IU, IUPUI, and all the other campuses, but it's just this overwhelming presence that IU has just sort of, well, not taken over, but has a predominant presence uh, at Black Expo. And that commitment has to come not from the mid-level of administrators, but that has to be a commitment from the top. So can someone talk about uh, how uh, the chief executive officer of IU, uh, President Michael McRobbie, his feelings about Indiana Black Expo? And does he attend? Kim? Yeah, Kim, would you... I was going to say, President McRobbie has been in attendance for a number of years. He has been there. He actually has even provided an address at the corporate luncheon. 
And in addition to that, we have a number of, almost all of our chancellors are there mm-hmm. throughout the weekend, and they have attended various functions, receptions, and even will make a presence at the exhibit hall. They all will try to make sure that the community knows that Indiana University is committed to the success of not just Indiana University, but of our community throughout the state. And they do that by making their presence known throughout the exhibit halls, at the various receptions, and actually meeting and greeting individuals at the booth. Very good. Mm-hmm. When we get the chance to see that our top-level administrators are sitting right there beside us all day yes. <laughs> up the weekend. Yes, that has an impact, yes. And also um, at the, the level of the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs, uh, Dr. James uh, Wimbush has been a tremendous uh, uh, catalyst uh, behind making sure that that I use prominently, not only prominently placed, but the content that is delivered to families and to aspiring students and to alumni is relevant and memorable. Um, One good thing, when you talk about 21st Century Scholar, uh, that's a premier program in Indiana, which in large part was uh, sort of started by Evan Bayh, uh, former governor Evan Bayh. And uh, one of the big recruitment drives that I see every year is to, to try to at least alert students that, hey, you might be able to come to Indiana University uh, based on a set, a set of criteria. For the first year, I believe it's free of charge. Can someone address that? Is, is that the case? Or can anyone speak to uh, the 21st century program? Oh, sure. Yes. The 21st Century Scholarship provides students for up to four years of undergraduate tuition at any participating public college or university in Indiana. And if you attend a private college, the state will award an amount comparable to that of a four-year public college. And if you attend a for-profit school, the state the state will award tuition scholarships equal to that of Ivy Tech Community College of Indiana. Hmm. So students can enroll as a scholar as early as seventh grade, but no later than June 30th of your eighth grade year. That's why our presence here is so important because there, there's so many things going on in the life of a student and life of a family mm-hmm. that you can miss these deadlines. That's right. But coming to the Indiana Black Expo, enjoying yourself, and then coming over to the booth at 403. That's where our booth is. If you come okay. over there, you can um, you can submit your application. You can check out where you are in the process and get yourself activated. That's what we want to do. We want to provide all those opportunities to these upcoming scholars. And it doesn't matter if they attend IU or the regional campuses or not. We want to get as many students in the process as possible. I'm very interested in this uh, because I have a granddaughter that's going in the seventh grade. So if uh, people are unable to attend the exhibition and, and the booth at IU this weekend, how can they get an application for the 21st Cent uh, Scholar? I would advise everyone to go to our website, indianablackexpo.iu.edu, and you will find the different materials that you need to sign up for the 21st Century Program. We have links that go directly to the program so that you don't miss out. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And Kim, can you tell me how involved uh, are the, the, the people working with the 21st 
Century Scholarship Program uh, in schools? How involved do they come out to the schools and talk to people here, especially locally? Yes, they do come out to the schools to talk to individuals. In addition, they work directly with guidance counselors to make sure that students are receiving information by their 7th and 8th grade years because it is very important that students get this information. They have until June 30th of their 8th grade year to get signed up. But another purpose of us being at the booth is to make sure that those high school students are completing their requirements so that they are eligible to receive the money once they decide to transition to college. Mm -hmm. There are specific requirements that students must meet while they're in their high school years to receive their scholarship upon their transition to college. And so we will have stations set up in the IU booth so that they can meet their what is called scholar track requirements for those students who did sign up in 7th and 8th grade. Okay, just so I understand, you sign up in 7th grade and then the process doesn't start until the ninth grade. Well, yes. Okay. Start, you sign up in seventh grade, and then starting your ninth grade year, you have specific requirements of what you must must do. And mm-hmm. that is what we're also doing. So we're signing you up and carrying you through your process all throughout the weekend. Okay. And studies have shown that uh, a lot of kids may not, in the seventh grade or sixth grade even, be sitting on the, the academic um, wherewithal to eventually matriculate to college, but along comes comes this program, 21st Century Scholars, and sort of turns that switch on, that, that curiosity, that, that eagerness to learn, and you kind of guide them through starting in the ninth grade on how to prepare. Uh, I, I see some of the topics you all have, like ninth grade scholar success program, paying for college 101. That financial piece is, is critical. Uh, and then 10th grade, uh, there's the get workplace experience, so a, a sort of a taste of what uh, internship life can be like. Uh, can you elaborate on some of that? Well, yeah, we have IU alumni from various professions, such as business, law, information technology, education, and healthcare that will be on hand to help scholars meet their program requirements by participating in informal interviews with IU alumni in professions that they might wish to pursue. And then uh, I see that there are opportunities uh, to visit a college campus, and, and, and I take great delight in, in working with some of that, um, that type of engagement experience and to see their eyes open and to see uh, them visualizing themselves sitting where actual college students are sitting. So the 11th grade scholar success program, visit a college campus. Uh, uh, Kim, can you elaborate on that a little? Yeah, we will have it set up in the booth. For those students who have not yet visited a college campus, each of our campuses will have virtual tours in the booth. So they can visualize themselves on that college campus. And what we're hoping is is that then sparks the curiosity so that they will actually physically visit that college campus. Mm -hmm. And then in the 12th grade uh, uh, level, they're not leaving them out uh, because this, while it is your last year, I I think globally, a lot of seniors get in that sort of mindset, well, I'm already, I'm in the 12th grade, so I can sort of uh, ease off the gas pedal a little bit. 
and then sort of quote unquote enjoy my senior year and there's oh, a resounding senioritis, senioritis and there's oh, a resounding okay. no we're not doing that we're going to keep the pedal to the metal and take care of the business at hand but the 12th grade scholar success program college success 101 getting that mind ready for that next step the departure and then the matriculation to uh as as you said earlier um a four-year degree program, uh, and and I'll just say, I mean, we're a lot of us are IU grads. It does not have to be IU or IUPUI. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a bridge, a gateway into college, um, and take advantage of it. Any thoughts on that? Well, for some students, it could be that they decide that they are going to start off with that two-year degree first. Mm-hmm and use that as their gateway to the four-year degree. Mm -hmm. And that is perfectly fine. One of the other partners that we will have at the table this summer, and this is important for our Marion County students, is a program called Achieve Indy that is being supported and sponsored by the mayor's office. They will not be at our booth, but they will be in the convention hall. And so they are providing additional assistance to take care of what we call the gap so where 21st Century Scholars does pay your tuition and fees, there may be additional funds that are not covered, and Achieve Indy is taking care of that for those Marion County residents that are attending either IUPUI or Ivy Tech. And so that will be an additional help and resource available in the convention hall that we will be able to direct students to. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a few minutes left, but, but and I want to give you both an opportunity to sort of uh, toot your own horn and, and let our listeners know uh, who you are and what, what your function is at, uh, at the university. But um, final question, why does IU have such a huge presence? We talked a little bit about how they function, but why is it so important that IU has this huge presence at the Indiana Black Expo Summer Celebration? You know, Indiana University is a strong supporter of Indiana Black Expo's mission of educating and uplifting our growing and diverse communities. And Indiana University's partnership with Indiana Black Expo supports initiatives aimed at helping more young African-American students attend college and programs that provide information and incentives to prospective college students. Mm-hmm. And, and on that note, with about two and a half minutes left before my engineer gives me that signal, uh, uh, Leah, Ms. McGrath, can you share with us your role function at, at IU and what you do? Well, I am pleased and pleasured and blessed to have taken up the torch that was once Mr. Clarence Boone's uh, portfolio. And I am the new assistant director of alumni communities, and I have identity-based uh, uh, alumni communities. And so I, it is a pleasure to be back after uh, being uh, Clarence Boone's intern 10 years ago to uh, pick up where he left off, left off and continue. You forgot something on yeah. that script right there. No, I was so pleased to learn uh, of, of Leah's appointment. and uh, That's great. Congratulations. Great and you're taking on uh, not taking on, but you're working with a, a group of wonderful alumni and various alumni uh, programs. And Neil Marshall Alumni Club is one dear, near and dear to my heart, yeah. the first one I started working with. But uh, that's phenomenal. Now I want to shift to uh, Ms. Uh, Kim Stewart-Brinston, who I'm, I've known for many, many years. And Kim, your role at IUPY. 
I am the Associate Director for Multicultural Initiatives in the Office of Undergraduate Admissions. And in that capacity, you solve all the world's problems and you do what else? <laughs> well, I have had the honor of working with this partnership, I think, since, I, won't, I don't want to say the beginning because we said 49 years, and I'm not old enough <laughs> no, to say. No, that's right. But um, for a number of years, I've been with IUPUI's um, participation with Indiana Black Expo since the beginning, and I am a former Indiana Black Expo employee, so I know both sides of the fence, and I enjoy the opportunity to help advance the economic empowerment of the community through education, because mm -hmm. I think that is one of the most valuable aspects of what we are able to do yes. in this world. Um, one thing I did, I I think we don't want to omit, and and is that uh, along with the summer celebration, there is also the Circle City Classic, and there's also involvement in some degree with that. And then when we had uh, Miss Tanya Bell on last week, she talked about things that go on year long, and there's some unique initiatives in the Indy area uh, that Indiana, Indiana Black Expo is involved with, um, like almost similar to a charter school. And I've invited her to come back or a representative to talk about that. But my hat goes off to both you ladies and for all who are going to roll their sleeves up and who have been rolling their sleeves up for over the past few days now going into it's sort of the critical time of Black Expo. And uh, you may not get much sleep, but I guess on, what, Sunday afternoon at 4, <laughs> you'll be able to say it's over and take a much long-awaited vacation break, hopefully. Vacation. Vacation. <laughs> um, and I encourage you to take your time because before you know it, the school year will start. Leah and Kim, I just want to say on a personal level how much I appreciate what you're doing. And I will see you both there. I'll be there from about 10 to 3 on Saturday. We'll work in a booth. All right. And so we will just can't wait to see you and thank you for what you're doing. Yes, ma'am. All righty. Hey, thank you. Our thanks to IUPUI Representative Kim Stewart, uh, Brainston, and IU Bloomington Representative Leah McGrath for talking about Indiana University's involvement with Indiana Black Expo. And also our thanks to William Morris, full-time staff attorney at Indiana Legal Services and host of WFIU's jazz program, Just You and Me, for which he created the Upbeat Soul Kitchen for joining us tonight to share his life's journeys and passions. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone, sitting right here, with help from WFHB News Director uh, Kanye Greensburg. Tonight's board engineer was Chantel LaFont, and our original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim, with additional background checks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, July 22nd at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.